Hello, and welcome to Sacred Adventure Begin, an inquisitive space where we explore topics like gaining wisdom, travel, yoga, meditation, dance, art, and following our soul-guided paths. I'm your host, Emily, from gettingintoit.com, and together we'll focus on enjoying, sharing, and interpreting our sacred adventures and how to embody these lessons in our daily lives. Let's begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I am your host, Emily Schumann, and I am so, so, so happy to be here today. I um, want to refer you here in the beginning of the episode back to an episode I did on uh, mantra and repetition and how that aids us in meditation because today I have a guest that is going to be talking to us about the yoga of devotion and song. Um, She is a songwriter, a musician, a yogini, um, basically a yoga practitioner, (laughs) and a meditator, and an incredible, 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 connected, amazing, kind human being. Um, So I'm interviewing Tara Kimes, and the cool thing about this episode is that we are also going to be talking a lot about music, so you're going to get to hear a lot of songs today, including some fun ones um, from from the beginning of her career. So we do discuss, like, how she stepped into her voice as a musician now, uh, specifically as, like, a, a kind of like a kirtan or a bhakti musician and I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. So here is Tara. Hello, Tara, and welcome to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you've been spending time creating or being or expressing lately? Well, hello there. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you here. (laughs) I will. Um, So I'm a songwriter and a meditation guide. And I'm pretty new at this, but I recently started writing music that's um, sacred chant songs with a guitar and recording albums. And I'm also fairly new at teaching meditation. I did teach yoga, um, got certified as a yoga teacher 10 years ago. And, that was based in the tantric tradition and actually it was called subtle yoga which is a really really great program it was a slow slower yoga Uh, you could even call it slow yoga but um my teacher is centered in Asheville there with that and i yeah i'm pretty new at that i just started some online classes And I'm kind of really just in an in-between place right now. I don't have any projects. I don't have any momentum for anything. I'm just in that dip down in-between place where I'm kind of just looking within, doing some self-study and do it teaching meditation. I did teach yoga, um, got certified as a yoga teacher 10 years ago. And um, that was based in the tantric tradition. And actually, it was called Subtle Yoga, which is a really, really great program. It was a slow, slower yoga. Uh, You could even call it slow yoga. But um, my teacher is centered in Asheville there with that. And 
I, yeah, I'm pretty new at that. I just started some online classes and I'm kind of really just in an in-between place right now. I don't have any projects. I don't have any momentum for anything. I'm just in that dip down in-between place where I'm kind of just looking within, doing some self-study and daily sadhana practice is going really good. It's, it's going the best it's ever been right now in my life, keeping me steady. I have been getting my Vedic astrology chart done lately. I've been really, really curious about that. So yeah, that's where I'm at. Hey listeners, so I am interrupting this episode because I thought it would be really cool to give you a chance to get to know Tara's music a little bit. And I'm going to pause right here and play for you a section of one of her songs so you can hear all of the complexity of what she's interested in, all of the beautiful... Um, ways that she feels about expressing spiritually through the music. much (laughs) i have like a ton of i guess kind of questions number one i did not know you had is it your 200 hour i don't remember how many hours to be honest and i have the certificate and i actually was looking at it the other day and it didn't say so i honestly don't and you did that in Asheville. i love Asheville so so much so you started then i guess what you're saying you started a little bit with the yoga and then you you discovered chant or out we I guess we could talk about like kind of the the story to how you got to where you are now but um can you break down the word sadhana for the listeners who might not know what that means you said you were you had a very strong daily sadhana practice and I I know what that means but can you explain a little bit more about what that is um I don't know as far as the Sanskrit like breaking down sad well doesn't sat mean truth yeah that's do you know what the, like, both of the parts of the word mean? Sad, no. I honestly would need to look it up, but can you just tell us maybe what it means to it, you and what, and me, how you're keeping that? Yeah, what they taught me in yoga school and stuff. It's just a daily, uh, it's daily time you give yourself. And you can even just think of it as silence, you know, just or Sabbath or, you know, whatever word works, but it's giving yourself that daily quiet time to just be with your thoughts. And no agenda, no productivity. Um, you really are just creating a container, a safe container 
for all of your feelings and thoughts and um, just letting it breathe, letting it be, be there. Oh, I love that. Um, so in answer to that question, <laughs> Wikipedia <laughs> says that sadhana is literally a quote, means of accomplishing something, end quote. It is a generic term coming from the yogic tradition, and it refers to any spiritual exercise that is aimed at progressing uh, the participant toward the very ultimate expression of his or her life in this reality. It goes on, and mm -hmm. it, it is more, there's like uh, more information on the tantric tradition of the word, too. Um, yeah. And then also, I loved what you said when you said that you are in the in-between right now, so you're not like necessarily looking to produce anything or to do mm -hmm. anything. And I think mm -hmm. that that is sort of a place that a lot of listeners are finding themselves in during this, you know, time of quarantine. I am curious, I know that a lot of anxiety can arise during the unknowing or during this time. And I'm wondering if you could share the way that you feel about what you're going through right now and how you're approaching it and looking at it. Yeah. Um the best thing I've found to to help me is only live in 24-hour compartments or day-tight compartments and just do the best that you can um, in those 24 hours, whether that means you need to provide for yourself, you just need to get by, whether that means you need to survive or you need to just lay in your bed and look at the ceiling all day, whatever you need, but don't think past 24 hours just, you know, that's helped me anyway, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge just to be able to be in the now and it like kind of comes with a little bit of a mind shift too, right? Yeah, definitely. Like we yeah. were before, um, oh, sorry, I'm talking over you. <laughs> no, I was too. Um, <laughs> I was just saying like perspective does change, right? About that. Yeah, there's almost, we were talking earlier about our days having a little bit of a surrender to them and just being open to what comes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think doing that daily sadhana is really helpful for, for cultivating that as just more of your, of your lifestyle or just being more in tune with that or natural with that. Because, um, yeah, we definitely put all these mental constructs onto reality, and um, it's a really constricting way to live. And I'm not saying that I'm beyond it or past it, because I do it too. And I'm just really right now trying to learn how to release some of that uh, constricting, limiting <laughs> um, expression, and, or at least just be aware of it. Yeah. That's Awareness is key. The more you're just self-aware, then you surrender more easily, I think. Right. Right. I love that because awareness shifts us into just the looking at and the receiving and the equanimity. Um, I know you have an album out right now. Uh, it's called Nourishment. But can you tell people a little bit about the album? Yeah. So it's uh, acoustic guitar-based Kirtan music, and I did bring in some friends from my local community in Louisville, Kentucky, and I think there were like about 25 people in total that helped to make the album, and there was just a lot of um, 
lot of love, a lot of love in the, in the music and the vibe was really loving that day. And it was just one of those things that you couldn't really force or make happen. It, um, it just had its own momentum and it came through me and I felt like I was just kind of riding the momentum of it. And uh, I'm really glad that it got made. I'm just glad that the album got made. Uh, it has harp on it and uh, flutes and um, some all kinds of percussion chimes and and then we just um, sang a lot of mantras um, and also the Gayatri mantra, which is the ancient uh, hymn to the sun. And most of the mantras were about uh, avatars of Vishnu, who is sort of like the nourishing sustainer deity in Hinduism, Indian traditions. So since Tara did mention it, uh, the Gayatri Mantra, I am going to play that for you now. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. down and record during that time and it was such a cool experience to be in a recording studio first off totally new experience for me <laughs> and secondly it I think that like one of the things that I love about like being around you or working with you is that you have this ability to um, involve people in things and to make them feel like they're part of it and I think when you listen to the album, you get that like sensation. It's, it's so um, beautiful. Yeah. And it was just so cool how that, um, I think she was only seven years old, that little girl, Allie, were you there when she? I was, was yeah. She just kind of spontaneously started, you know, running around the studio with me and, and then I said, do you sing? And she was like, yeah, I like to sing. And. And then we ended up going in there and she just did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so cool. I love kids. They're so <laughs> like, 
I want to say they're so like, they're not weighted down by the degrees of um, what we project onto ourselves or what we learn to project onto ourselves. And so if you like, if you say to a kid, like, are you a singer? They're like, yes. Are you an artist? They're like, yes. But if you ask an adult that they would be like, hell no. (laughs) Uh (laughs) but it was really beautiful that that uh like happened so I'm kind of curious how did you get to where you are now like we've talked a little bit that you started in yoga but maybe even before that and then how did you come to tantra could you maybe talk a little bit about perhaps even what that is to you um yeah if you don't mind me talking for a while this might get kind of long but <laughs> yeah no as long as you uh know that Just you feel free to like, can, sorry go ahead what? you can keep talking and occasionally I'll be like yeah but just keep going <laughs> <laughs> well feel free to interrupt me whenever you want but. okay I'll just sort of take some deep breaths here um so uh, when I was a kid we had the Tibetan book of the dead in our house what I just was like fascinated with it I would um I guess I wasn't a kid I was probably a teenager because I was pot smoking age but yeah. <laughs> um I just remember I would um get stoned and read this book and it talked about these monks like helping each other die uh-huh. and and I was just like blown away like why and it made me think about our culture and how different and how scared we are of death and I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. There's other cultures where they're not, they actually help each other die. And it's like this whole thing. And so then I got really into that. And then my mom had these friends named Mark and Kim, who were um, a couple that were, they weren't traditionally married, but they were just this beautiful couple. And they would travel around and sit with spiritual teachers. And so they would send my mom books and I remember we had the, all these books laying around the house um, by spiritual teachers from the Ramana, Ramana Maharshi, Ramana Maharshi lineage, uh, Gangaji and Papaji and Ramana Maharshi. And the uh, same kind of thing, I would just get stoned and <laughs> read those yeah. books. Oh my and, God, we grew up in totally different houses. I <laughs> 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 love the I, sound of your house. I don't know. It was really, it wasn't like my family was all around me, like uh, mentoring me in this. They were not even there. Just the books were there and I gravitated toward them and by myself. But, um, but it really was, I think I had a innate experience of consciousness at a, that early age. Um, so then um, I remember that felt like a golden thread to me that, that I just wanted to follow. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up uh, kind of exploring uh, that golden thread a little bit more, which was through hippie festivals. And I tried to kind of expand as much as I could in the Midwest, but just trying to look for that feeling that the books were giving me and just that sense of expanding and and consciousness. And uh, so what I did was I eventually uh, moved out West and I got a job on a ranch and so that's when things started to get really interesting because I'd moved away from home and uh, I just started uh, attracting things to me or things, all these guitars just started showing up and I, yes. it was just wild. And I didn't really ask for a guitar, but they just started showing up. And I remember this, uh, this cowboy that would come and tell stories and play his guitar on the campfire. He actually let me keep his guitar for a couple of weeks and like 
play around with it. And that felt magical. I think I started writing some songs and stuff. And, uh, and then that's about that time is when uh, this longing kind of arose in me for a teacher. I just felt like I really wanted a teacher, a music teacher. And I wasn't sure um, even what that looked like yet. Um, so within a few months of that, I moved to uh, Tempe, Arizona, and I started researching around for piano teachers. And uh, I went and saw a couple of them, and they weren't really right for me. They just felt too, too stiff or too, I don't know, just outdated. It wasn't the quite, quite the right fit. Mm-hmm. And then there was this one guy who I finally found, and his name was Ernie. <laughs> and I remember we talked on the phone real briefly, and I just remember he said, I don't want to know anything about you. He's like, I don't want to know your background. I don't want to know anything. So just come over here. I just want to meet you. And it almost <laughs> sounded like, like he was secretive or like uh, almost kind of, I don't know, there's just some secrecy about him. But I, <laughs> so I went, over, went over there and uh, he turned out to be an amazing teacher. He had traveled the world for nine years in a jazz trio. He had toured with James Brown and a bunch of other you know, well-known musicians. And so, uh, yeah, I studied with him for four years and he had this really intuitive, creative style that was his own. He had just formed it on his own from, from uh, playing for so long and being so good. He was a true master of his instrument. And, and then around that piano? time, is, yeah, yeah, piano. I started on jazz piano and then what? I ended up, yeah. And, actually brought uh, with me I have a demo if you want to hear it that's what, that was my funny surprise yes <laughs> I do want to hear it because um, those are my days of like Tori Amos and I don't know I just used to to uh, really really write a lot of piano songs back in the day but some of them make you make, might make you want to kill yourself they're kind of sad that's right so you, my dear listeners, already know that I'm not going to let Tara talk about this music and not try and put it on here for you to hear. Um, this is one of my favorites of the songs uh, from that original album that she sent me. So I'm going to share a little snippet of it with you now.
Um, so around that time, I started playing in new age bands. I met uh, a guy who I kind of um, started playing music with, and then we dated, and then we lived together for about five years. I think we were kind of on and off, but it was um, a really good musical connection. And uh, he's actually the same guy who mastered Nourishment, a recent album, and it was pretty cool. We kind of reconnected during that. And um, we played in New Age bands together and we did a couple of small festivals out in the desert and stuff. And, and yeah, so, but yeah, the, the piano demos, it was funny because um, when I listen to them, I hear a devotional. You can really hear like a, that devotion was always there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just didn't know how to, um, I didn't understand it back then. But I think now, um, the more that I learn about mantras and bhakti, it's it, it's all kind of like a puzzle that's coming together now, and, and I can see how it fits. But even the, the song titles of my old piano songs were like, they were titled like, I Want to Wake Up, and Deep Awake, or Beautiful Illusion. <laughs> I was trying <laughs> when I was performing a piano song I was trying to like find the truth like you could you can just hear it in the music yeah can so did you say that you had a recording can we hear it yeah that's amazing so you <laughs> like can, said, you can... You want to kill yourself but... oh, stop <laughs> we'll we'll play it now and then um yeah, yeah. all right here we go uh, let me get to it here Yes. Oh my God. I, I'm going to, I promise to come back to, to the story of you, but I have to talk about this. So, um, even just from the other night chanting the Gayatri with you and then the way that you play the piano, I hear you playing the like notes of the chord, like sort of in that kind of like, I forget what it's called. It's not called an archipago, but like that sort of like style where it's like, uh, oh, is that what it's called? Arpeggio, yeah. Yeah, arpeggio. Thank you. I believe it or not, I took um, I took classical piano lessons for like ten years and did all the like Bach and the hands going in different directions <laughs> and all of that. But like, I my mom used to have to like force me to sit at the piano to practice, and like mm-hmm. I was always really afraid to sing because I felt like my voice sounded like crap. And like, it's kind of funny, um, again, just the like, the way that, that how you express, like when you start putting the things together, like what you're saying, like 
now as you are a like meditation teacher and a songwriter and you're expressing in the world in this like beautiful creative musical way like you're looking back at your life and you're like I called the spiritual stuff to me and it was there available for me as I was growing up and then I deepened in it and I started connecting all the things and now I can see how the like how the universe has conspired to bring me here right like it's so yeah there's like a, a definitely a transformation from despair and like you know because like in the early years when I did all this piano music I was always reaching and grasping from a place of uh like longing but it was uh like yeah it was just a place of longing or feeling like despair almost or something but now you can still have that longing in the chant music and the bhakti yeah, and to some degree, it's different. <laughs> it is. It is. I feel like longing for God is such a noble thing, and it's such a beautiful thing, and it's such a thing that's innate to us. Otherwise, you know, every culture in the world has a religious belief or some kind of thing like that because it connects us, like, to the human experience. But it's such that's a it. beautiful thing, like longing for the divine is fulfilling just in its longing just in being able to say in yourself like i long for that and that feels good yeah and i yeah. think i didn't I think the problem was when i was younger i did not realize that those dark darker emotions were the divine wanting to know itself wanting to express itself and i didn't make that connection or i wasn't conscious of it i still had like that constricted i sense of like i I awareness or this identity of myself is the one in despair and it kept me really blocked off but but yeah it's it's different when you expand and and uh, you see it more expansively and that feeling itself is the divine yeah so I actually hear the um the like the the way that you use a piano I hear that definitely coming through in the way that you're playing guitar now and then the way you're doing mantra now and it's so interesting to me. Um, I'm currently taking a class on uh, Indian ragas and how to sing them, but also there's like some information in there on the um, harmonium. And uh, it was interesting because at the beginning they were like the different, one of the biggest differences between Western approaches to chant and mantra and Indian or um, like that, like kind of raga tradition is that the Western style is more focused on like the harmonies, the chords and stuff. And the yeah. Indian is more like melody focused. Melody. Yeah. yeah. And that's been a hard transition for me um, because I like them blended together because I feel like when I am in the longing and I'm singing from the longing and maybe you can respond to this too when I sync with a chord and I feel the harmony either between my voice and another voice or my voice in my instrument, like be it the harmonium or the um, tampura, like I feel that the longing is heard and reciprocated. So I feel like I'm longing for the divine and the divine is longing to know itself through me. Mm, and so yeah. like in the harmony, we create the loop. So I'm wondering if you have like th thoughts on that or like how you... <laughs> Totally yeah. agree. I totally agree with that. That's why, like, the biggest um, bliss that I was able to 
start to feel enchanting was when I stopped listening to myself and just started listening to all the voices around me and chanting mm. is actually way more fun. You get more out of it when you focus more on listening than, than what you sound like <laughs> mm. Mm. to receive and feel it. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. And I think, um, you actually have been doing, and again, back to the album, the album to me is so beautiful because you have given a lot of people in at least the Louisville community, the chance to like be part of that resonance together. Um, can you talk a little bit about like what it's like leading mantra and maybe where, where you do that when we're not in quarantine? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't know. There's not much to it aside from just showing up. Well, I guess the biggest thing I've learned is being prepared and getting grounded before I do it. That's Mm -hmm. really important. Um, that's what I've learned over the last two years is just, I have a checklist now that I go over before Kirtan and I make sure everything's checked off. I I take care, make sure all of my um, musicians are taken care of first and just look around the room and just make sure everybody has a chance sheet. Like you just take care of the logistics really. And I guess that's, it's not really an exciting thing to talk about, but it's, I feel like it's important to be grounded when you you lead Uh, Mm -hmm. the more grounded stable you are, then the better container you can hold for the room and for everyone there. So after we had that lovely little dialogue about longing for the divine and harmony and group leading, I thought you might enjoy hearing a little bit of one of the songs that features exactly that. So here you go. To let you that so much so you lead stuff at like inner warrior and you're also available if people want to hire you to like come out and sit and lead in their spaces oh yeah of course absolutely (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) so thank you for for letting me go on that like tangent I just heard so much in that song that reminds me of like how you are now and I had this like profound connection to how you were playing the piano and then the guitar and then the, like all the ideas of, of resonance so like back to your back to your journey <laughs> so, how did you get from like that sad uh so you started taking guitar classes and you started yeah so I took um I took guitar well I just you know what's funny in Arizona when I was into all that piano stuff too, I got a psychic reading. Well, it didn't even, I mean, you really nailed it when you said this stuff just came to me because you can't make this stuff up. But nope. I was a, I got a nanny job out there 
And the mother who I nanny for, uh, her name was Cammie, and she just, her job, her day job, she actually had an office and everything was uh, intuitive channeler. Yep. And so like as part of my um, exchange, she would give, you know, she offered one day to give me a, a free um, session. And what came through in that session was she like, I just keep getting an image of you with guitars. She's like, I just keep seeing you with a guitar. And I was mm. like, eh, nah, I don't play guitar. I was like, yeah, they kind of show up a lot, but I, I prefer piano and, you know, the guitar. <laughs> but all the guys I do play, I, I don't do that. But then, um, it's so funny how sure enough, uh, I think it was maybe three to five years later, I did end up getting <laughs> guitar. <laughs> were always given to me. They were always just given to me. It was never anything that I intentionally set out to do. But what a fantasy. How many people are like, I wish somebody would give me a guitar. <laughs> I mean, it was the silliest thing. Like I'd just be driving. I literally, the, the guitar was given, the first one was given to me. I was driving down the street in a neighborhood and I luckily happened to have my window rolled down and I heard somebody go, Tara. And I look over and there's my sister's friend is like uh, coming down the driveway of a house with holding a guitar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she, was, she said, Hey, this is Kristen's and Kristen's moving to uh, San Francisco. She doesn't need this anymore. Um, do you want to hold on to it? And literally passed it to me through like while I was in my car, it was divine timing, you know, yeah. she to drive by. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, you know? No, you can't. And like, what a strong, I think we're always all getting messages. It's just whether or not we choose to like understand them or look at them, or sometimes they don't even reveal themselves as messages to us until like later when we're looking back and we're like, oh my God, how did I miss that? Yeah. 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 Um, oh, and so then I guess to continue the journey. Yeah. <laughs> I think we were traveling with the ex doing kind of spiritual yeah, new age. Yeah. yeah, we were in which we made albums and did some festivals and stuff. And then uh I decided to move back home to the Louisville area, southern Indiana. Yay, yeah. that's where we met. <laughs> that was another like that was another point after that. I was 25. I was in a dip. It's like there was no momentum anymore. I've kind of just in that whatever happens next, I'm ready. And then when you start to open, then like you know the new messages come through. You start to get new, um, new golden thread. And the new golden thread that came to me was I wanted to be a yoga teacher, and I knew it in my whole being is what I wanted to do. So I found a teacher in Asheville. And I started to go to Asheville every weekend for three or four days. And I would just drive there and drive back. It's like a six hour. Yeah. That's no joke. Um, and around that time, my teacher in that training played a guitar. I might ever seen a yoga teacher bust out a guitar and play like folk melodies and chant these beautiful mantras over them she chanted the babanam kevalam mantra which means love is the essence and uh that is that just pulled me in immediately it was more of that golden thread i was like oh i want more of this this is just i completely resonate with it my whole being and uh so i think from that point, the golden thread led me to eternal health yoga here in Louisville with, you know, Shelly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, 
she invited me to start drumming at Kirtan's with her. And I did that with her for about five years. And um, I think that's when the, you know, more of the Kirtan scene started happening. She brought Jai Utal here to Louisville and that was big. That was a big deal and really inspiring. Um, and through that, through that group, getting to drum with her, I was introduced to other people that, you know, um, told me about the India trip um, with David Newman and Shantala. And that was um, another Bhakti Kirtan experience, which was really cool too. And, um, and that trip is actually the reason why you and I met because uh, a friend of ours, totally unrelated to either yoga or Kirtan, <laughs> said, hey, my friend's going to India and you've been to India. Will you, will you tell her about what she needs to pack? <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. We are. Yeah, so you went to India and then you came back like totally inspired, wrote the album, recorded it, and here we are now. <laughs> yeah, and the India trip, the India trip was really tough physically because it was really constricting for my life. Yeah. Physically, and there were some social aspects of it that felt constricting and just, you know, not really comfortable. But musically and spiritually, it was incredible and it was expansive. And I got a tabla lesson while I was there from Benji Borthai, an amazing drummer. And I, I got to listen to this beautiful classical Indian music at nighttime in the ashrams. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that I'm going to always remember. There's just something about that. That, like you were saying, the ragas and the, the Indian music is just so. There's nothing like it. <laughs> no, there's not. And I wish people could know what it's like. Um, I haven't gone to an ashram that's just for music, but I've lived, I think, now over six to nine months total, like in India, uh, like at different times, not like in one long stretch. Mm -hmm. But like every day there is live music every day. And sometimes the live music will come to you. Like people will have their drums and they'll like go down the street and they'll be chanting and you can leave your room, leave your studies, leave what you're doing, leave your cooking, walk out into the street and chant with them for a little while. Or you'll be like walking and you'll pass, there's little temples everywhere. And there's almost always someone in there like reciting a mantra or yeah. like singing and they you are never not welcome to like sit in with them and sing and so there's this idea that like this type of worship is for everyone and it permeates and i i love that like how do you say that like being welcoming in, yeah but that like being in the music like living in and with the music of mm -hmm. like sacred uh, devotional music. It just, it's incredible. There, there's no other place on earth like India, like period, end of story. But yes, there, there are issues with it too. So <laughs> we don't have to go into all that. <laughs> Another podcast. Oh yeah, for sure. I actually uh, have an earlier episode about just like the things that went down the first time I did a residency in India like when I was a resident and it was crazy. I've told you about it before, but uh, if the, if the listeners want to hear some stories, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a place to go. And maybe you and I should get on and, and talk about that too. But um, for right now, let's kind of stay with the thread here. So how do you see Tantra 
yoga, kirtan, and meditation benefiting your life and calling you to growth and further self-knowing? Well, it's, um, I think the, gosh, the most wonderful thing that's happened to me is the, the tantra came into my life. And it really just, you know, the golden thread again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but tantra, what I love about it is it's all about deconstructing. It's, it's all about um, unlearning or sort of um, revealing, letting your true nature be revealed to you. And uh, it's tantra sees reality. The nature of reality is non-dual which is huge. That is a huge thing, you know, like, because so much of what's going on in the world right now is, is based in duality and that can really, it can really shift things if you change the view to um, non-duality, which when you think of it as non-duality, it's not you versus them or you and some enemy. It's, it's yourself. It's another aspect of yourself that's just more ignorant. There's more ignorance there. They don't see. You know, it's it's like looking at it differently. Yeah, I totally get that. For those of the listeners who may have never heard the word tantra before, except out of uh, its reference in Sting, uh, Sting songs, <laughs> right? Tantra, it denotes, and this is, I'm reading from Wikipedia, the esoteric traditions of Hinduism and Buddhism that co-developed most likely in the middle of the first millennium AD. The term Tantra in Indian traditions also means any systematic, broadly applicable text, theory, system, method, instrument, technique, or practice. You could read more about Tantra. I'll put some links at the bottom of the page, but that's just like a very base sort of... um, beginning kind of definition or understanding for those of you who are uh, not familiar with it or may have some misconceptions about it. So, yeah, and the kind that I'm studying is actually called non-dual Shaiva Tantra. Oh, yes. Okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah, there's different um, sects and different beliefs. And I said sex, not (laughs) S-E-S. Yeah. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so again, it's just um, what I love about the kind of Tantra that I'm studying is it's a direct invitation to commune with essence nature daily. And for me, that means silence, but they do give you practices that you can do, um, such as uh, one of the practices that I love is uh, the heart space, like just um, actually one of the, the coolest things I'm, I'm learning lately is that the mind and the heart are not seen as separate in Tantra. They're just, they're just two aspects of the same thing. And mm. because if you think about a story, then there's always feelings that go with it. And uh, if you feel a certain feeling, your mind's going to attach to make up a story to it. It's, it's yeah. like two, two things that work together always. Um, so, you know, in, in meditation, you always hear about that third eye center and people, I think, I know I did, you know, I always thought, oh, you have to go up into your third eye, upper chakras to understand, to really be a hardcore meditator. But um, this is just completely different and saying, no, consciousness actually resides in the heart and you can go into the heart space and there can be all this 
energy and action and fluctuations of the mind happening on you know on the surface but if you stay deep you know in that center the heart the consciousness you're not going to really be affected by any of it mm. yes oh i love that and i find the heart space to be a much quieter place to to focus when in meditation a much calmer soothing place I'm, it's more of an effective practice for me than, than trying to go into the upper chakras. 100%. I love that. So I also love, like, speaking of tantra and spirituality and kirtan and meditation, I, I love that there's, like, growth that is always sort of, like, awareness that is always unfolding in there. So the process always seems or feels like new and renewing. And I feel like there's so much like available there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, another good, real, um, a good, um, I guess, um, teaching that I'm learning that I, I love lately is that um, we have all these ideas of ourselves uh, from the mental, emotional body. Um, this thing that I'm talking about that's connected as one, we think of it as mind-body. Um, they also call it the energy body in Tantra. But from when we're in that place, we come up with these identities for ourselves. And we will say, like, I'm, like, I am blank, whatever it is. I am old. I am young. I'm, I'm successful. I'm poor. I'm famous. Whatever mm -hmm. it is. Um, and those are actually... Uh, contracted uh, expressions of conscious it's that's actually consciousness contracted or constricted <laughs> yeah yeah but to, what to know something you have to at some point define what you're trying to know so it's interesting like we both need and don't need the definitions yeah and tantra's goal is to kind of help us go beyond like be aware of that and then scale back like scale back to just the pure awareness the pure consciousness and remember and just be that expansive i guess just kind of be aware of it all as it's contracting and expanding but but kind of remain as just the awareness mm. i love that Oh, that's awesome. So how do you like, when you do a practice, like how do you incorporate like mantra um, or kirtan? Can you maybe talk a little bit about the difference between those two things uh, for, for listeners who don't know what I'm saying when I use those words and then like, tell us kind of how you use those in your practice. Yeah. Um, so I'll try the best that I can. You know, I'm, I'm like not an expert at this stuff. I'm still pretty new. <laughs> But, yeah, you're allowed to speak from where you are. <laughs> so the tantric mantras are called bija mantras. And I'm trying to think of how to just say it without all these words. Um, okay, so tantric practice is more, it is mantras. Tantra is all about mantra, repeating mantra. That's like one of the biggest um, practices in tantra. But it's different than uh, kirtan. Tantra is more prescribed. 
practices that you sit and do and they're, they're more personal like uh, Japa meditation mm-hmm. where you re- repeat the mantra to yourself and you start out loud and then it becomes a whisper and then it becomes a silence but you still hear it repeating reverberating in your in your mind and heart and that's really powerful because it just takes the mind into that vast consciousness that silence and the kirtan in bhakti is and this is where i'm limited in my expertise as far as like the, the history and all that but i um from my experience, Kirtan Bhakti is done more in a group setting and it's more casual and less, there's less formality. You don't have to pronounce everything correctly. Um, it's just more about letting yourself go and really uh, abandoning it all to the mantra. And, and it's more about, you. it's not, um, it's more you're just saying the name of deities mm-hmm. and connecting with, divine names whereas tantra um well tantra has that too but also includes other things like the elements and you can just be chanting the uh, forces of nature like elemental mantras Um, whereas kirtana bhakti wouldn't do that it would always be names of deities cool so you just threw in another new word possibly for the listeners and that is bhakti Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. My, my favorite definition of bhakti is uh, to belong to or attached to. And uh, it's really just yoga from the heart. It, it's um, learning for me. I think bhakti has meant learning to be in my heart instead of my head. Um, through music and chanting divine names. I love that. That's beautiful. And kirtan sometimes also is like call and response, right? So you don't need any, uh, like, you don't necessarily need any experience in doing it to just show up and do it. I mean, you do want to have experience before you go lead it, but like, <laughs> I think all you need is devotion in your heart and you're good to go. Love it. Love <laughs> it. <laughs> so, um, what hurdles have you overcome on your journey? Oh yeah, this is a good question. Um, okay, so <clears throat> the biggest one is um, I really thought it gave this some good thought too because it's such a good question. I think uh, a feeling of not being good enough deep down is a is just the biggest one for me. Um, and I think, um, okay. So I know you're going to edit this, so I'm sorry. I'm like taking lots of space. No, <laughs> you're, you're invited on to take up space. We're good. <laughs> I think the biggest hurdle has been confusing lovable with successful. Mm, that's huge. Uh, a huge one. <laughs> thinking that those people with success and popularity are more lovable than me and and deserve more love than me. And that has been um, some, it's heartbreaking to see it when you actually become aware of Mm -hmm. that. Um, 
And I've been thinking about this issue a lot. I just read, I finished a book called Fame, The Hijacking of Reality by uh, Justine Bateman, who uh, took the time to just do tons of research on fame and what it does to people and how there's actually cycles that go with it and the problem of achieving fame um, when you don't have any skills versus when you do and how it's just still incredibly hard when you because it naturally has an end just like everything Mm -hmm. um so that was interesting she was really honest gut-wrenchingly honest about her experiences with it and um but yeah so something that I started doing was um just researching people that I would find myself comparing myself to and just feeling like you know, instead of just giving up or feeling jealous, I thought, well, you know, just get curious. And what I would find time and time again is that these people that I'm, you know, been comparing myself to were number one, born into wealth. Number two, um, born into connections. They had a natural end to the music industry from birth or, um, you know, they, they would have a parent who is friends with, uh, very high status celebrity like Oprah Winfrey or and and I started to think about you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. instead, instead of beating myself up because I'm not at their level of popularity you know it's it's better to just acknowledge and needed this is crucial and I need to do this for myself is to just acknowledge that it's a miracle that I even made records given yeah. that I didn't have any connection any connections to the music industry from birth I was born in a small town um you know poor and so it's it's just a miracle that I'm making records and they're getting made and that's beautiful that I you know I'm contributing something to the world and it's such a relief when you can have perspective like that and um so that's really helped me get over that oh my gosh Tara that's huge I think so many people don't even like start turning over the rocks to see like what is behind this jealousy like they'll get on Instagram or they'll compare like their chapter one to somebody else's chapter 20 right is that is so the truth yeah. and they don't they just all they feel is like I'm not good enough or this isn't gonna happen for me or whatever and then they stop but like not only did you keep going to record the record but then you kept turning over the rocks to see like where is this feeling really coming from? Where is this feeling really coming from? Where is this? And then you discovered like that it was the connection of lovable and successful. And like, that was the pain source. So then you could address it. That, that is that I have to commend you, I think, but (laughs) that is the exact work that we're here to do. Like that is I, in my opinion, why we incarnate is so that we can like actually like uncover all the rocks and once yeah. you uncover one rock, you start noticing all the other rocks that need to be uncovered, <laughs> like to look under. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, some of them are bigger and heavier than others. And I imagine that one was huge. So thank you for sharing that with people so that they can hear that everyone goes through that. Yeah, I think Emily. Yeah. So you went on a literal adventure to India. Um, which we've talked a little bit about, uh, but can you maybe share possibly what that was like for you, but also like how that um, influenced like where you're going with your music now or how you see the direction of your life? 
Mm, I don't know if there's anything else to share about it. Oh, well, actually meeting the meeting, going on the hike was really cool. That was another part of it that was amazing, getting to hike in the foothills of the Himalayas. And we got to uh, just hang out in the presence of this 99-year-old Baba who lived in a cave. And he lived in the cave, I think, over a decade. And uh, just being in the presence of someone like that was pretty amazing. And, you know, when I tell people about the trip, I tell them that part. And their, their response is always, man, that alone is worth it. Yeah, no joke. Whole <laughs> trip. And because um, you don't have, I mean, I don't know, maybe you do have that here in America. We just don't know people of that level of enlightenment. I don't know. Maybe they're here. Um, I think maybe here I don't know we have people in aesthetic tradition here but it just doesn't look the same I feel like uh babas and gurus are so much more accessible and available and open like to the public in India uh in part part and accepted and valued part of their culture versus that's they're they're um, actually valued more there yeah yeah huge Huge. I remember um, there are these group of like sadhus and babas that uh, they travel from town to town um, and they'll like stay there and their their lifestyle is supported by everyone in the towns valuing them and their wisdom so much and what they bring that they'll feed them, right? Uh, and yeah. they're, they're these like wild looking men. They have these dreadlocks and they wear this just this little like covering and that's it and they they're like they almost all look like they're starving but like it's such a miracle to me that you could devote yourself that like fully to something and that you can trust the um goodness of human nature and that you have value in society so much that you're willing to you know be a renunciate and just travel bringing wisdom places yeah that's a beautiful thing yeah. So one thing, what is one thing that you would tell your younger, less experienced self that you wish you knew? Like anything, you could, it could be anything. Um, yeah. I think um, this is kind of off subject. It's kind of, we're going to go left field here, but <laughs> I would say give her tools to navigate her sexuality. Yeah. But, and that was one thing that was really lacking. I feel, and we didn't have Instagram and the internet where you could find anything you wanted back in, you know, in the nineties, you didn't have all that. And um, we were just, we just, um, can you imagine like the things that are available now for women, like young, younger women, like Yoni eggs. And yes, if you weren't going to say Yoni, I was, cause <laughs> <laughs> like there is so much more like positive communication and education that is going on now because of the internet that is helping us specifically as women, but also as men, uh, reclaim our sexuality as part of something that is part of our sacred nature mm-hmm. and our divine nature and is no longer a like rejection or a shaming of that. And that like, that's huge too. And that's definitely not out of left field. That's totally connected to your spiritual awareness. That's true. Yeah. Thanks for putting it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, but like, I mean, thank you for saying that too. Like that is huge. Yeah. I think the book women who run with the wolves, I I would have given that to myself because I had access to all this kind of masculine spirituality, like Uh 
leaving your body and, uh, you know, um, asking the question, what am I? And you are bigger than the body and all, all that Ramana Maharshi lineage stuff. But I didn't really get like the, the wild feminine teachings when I was young. And I wonder what kind of impact that would have made, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like, that's kind of a, it's not a trick question, but that one is like, an interesting or a hard question to me because if you did give that information to your younger self, you wouldn't be who you are right now. That's true. <laughs> and, so, like, <laughs> and so it's just kind of like if, I guess maybe it would be better worded for like, if, if you were thinking about someone listening to you now, uh, being similar to who you were, uh, before you know what you, you know now, like, what would you tell that person or what would you want for them? And I definitely think that that like, the willingness to also go into the body and to validate the body's wisdom, all the parts of the body and integrate that in a sacred spiritual way is a huge. Oh, another, another good one is to, Oh, this is huge. Uh, to realize that we all have an inner masculine and feminine. We all have Shiva and Shakti, you know, it's not, if you're a woman, you need to identify with Shakti. And if you're a man, be like Shiva. It's it, we all have both in us, and it's about balancing them constantly. Uh, yeah. It really holds such a powerful container for yourself. When you start to do that, you feel like you become invincible. <laughs> yeah, or just integrated. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's nothing right. that can bother me because I'm so in acceptance of everything and every part of me. <laughs> it does feel powerful, right? And then, yeah. and then when, it, when you are hurt or when you are experiencing something like intense, uh, you're able to like find the rock that needs to be looked under, you know, like through, exactly. through these traditions. So you have always the resource that you need to help yourself once you sort of start taking the steps toward your own awareness. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that so much. I actually, it's funny. Um, the book that you referenced, Women Who Run With the Wolves, was gifted to me when I graduated the eighth grade. <laughs> one, awesome. of my mom, one of my mom's friends was like, you're a wild woman here. <laughs> Love it. I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> you're so lucky. Yeah, but like also you're lucky in other ways too because I, I grew up in a very like strictly Catholic, like you, you obey, that's, that's your you know, value in the family. And I experienced a lot of like rejection of that. And then also a lot of rejection of who I was and wanted to be because I wasn't being what it was taught to me to be. So I have also struggled, like just feeling safe, putting my voice out there. Yeah. In a way, like I look at at what you got to do with the piano and and playing music on stage. And I think like, wow, that's so brave. (laughs) what a totally different way to be raised and so we all have that thing right that makes us who we are now and gives us our voice and it it's so beautiful so if you um are willing I would love for you to share um maybe your your website and your contact with listeners but also if you have any advice or resources you want to share I know we've mentioned a lot of books and those are going to be in the show notes um but if you have any other ones that you want to add did you get Tantra Illuminated? No, Tantra Illuminated. Is that a book? That's my favorite books about Tantra, and I'm studying it right now. And it is just completely mind-blowing. Um, if you want, like, a real shift and it's more, if you, if you want to reach more 
enjoyable, or I don't know if I should say enjoyable, but more fulfilling um, aspects of the spiritual path. Mm -hmm. uh, this is way different than anything I've looked into before. And um, it's, I highly recommend it. It's called Tantra Illuminated by Christopher D. Wallace. He also goes by Harish Wallace. Nice. I, so I'm adding Women Who Run the Wolves by Carol Pinkola Estes, I think is her name. And then I really like the book Shakti Rising. Do you have other books that you recommend? I think I have Shakti Rising. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, the one by, what is it, Sally Kempton? Um, oh, she writes, yeah, she writes lots of good stuff. <laughs> it's called, what is that one called? It's so good. It has all the research on all of them and she relates it to modern day psychology and archetypes i think that is shakti rising i know she wrote a book recently or published a book recently about kali uh, and she's done other ones but she's definitely an author to to check out if you're interested in yeah. uh, doing that yeah and then you personally have a website it is called yeah just my name tarakimes.com awesome TaraKimes.com. Cool. And then do you have any Facebook groups or mailing lists? People can find the mailing list on your website. If anyone would like to chant with me, I have a chanting group where we chant the Gayatri Mantra um, weekly and we sit by the sunset and chant and it's a really beautiful meditation and that is called uh, Chanting the Gayatri Mantra. And that's just on Facebook. Awesome. That is incredible. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about your experiences. Um, I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Tara. Yeah, likewise. Awesome. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for hanging out. I know this was a long episode and we talked about a million different things from um, Tantra and uh, life pivots to the universe sending us guitars <laughs> because we're supposed to be playing guitar. Um, isn't that so cool that uh, Tara is so supportive that way? Anyway, I thought we would go out like this. I was going to play um, another of Tara's songs for you. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, if you want to help support the show, please review us. You know, like write a little thing saying, hey, this was great um, on Apple Podcasts. That would be super, super helpful. Um, and you can hit subscribe there or on Spotify. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy the song. Love is a sound, love is a touch, love is a freedom that's never too much. Love